Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Johnny Broadworth filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Monday, August 15th, 2022. When was the last time that you went on a date to a funeral? Or when was the last time that your kids or your friend group suggested a funeral as a fun weekend activity? I would imagine it's hard to remember a time where this ever happened. It isn't hard to imagine that most, if not all of us, have gone to a funeral. But to suggest this as a fun weekend activity or a way to spend our free time? Yeah, probably not. When I think of planning a date or a fun group activity, I'm thinking of things that include good food, some good laughs, maybe going to the movies, a game night, a hike. In fact, if I was talking to someone and asked, hey, so what are your hobbies? How do you like to spend your free time? And the answer was, I enjoy going to funerals. I would probably be a little weirded out. If we look at Ecclesiastes 7-9 through from our scripture reading for today, we see that the day of death and the house of mourning are actually better than the house of feasting and the house of mirth or laughter. Let's look at a number of verses today from Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verses 1-4. through It says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than, than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Why are these things considered better? Is it bad that I enjoy laughing and good food like the house of feasting or the house of mirth? The preacher Solomon explains to us that this is the end of all mankind. If you are a living human on this earth right now, you can expect death to come to you. You may not know the when or the how, but you can expect your earthly life to come to an end. The only way that you or I would ever escape death is if Christ returned for his church, in which case there is still an end to your life on this present earth, and you still don't know when that would happen. Devoting time to consider the day of death, to go to the house of mourning, these things keep our minds alert to the sober reality of the end, of the finality of death. Most often when a healthy baby is born, as the preacher says, the day of birth, our minds don't fast forward to think about the end of this baby's life. No, our minds go to places such as, will this baby grow up to be a firefighter? Maybe a doctor? When will this baby take his or her first steps? Which parent will he like more? We think of all the potential and the excitement of the future for this baby. When we go to the house of feasting, maybe a good barbecue restaurant, we're normally in good spirits, having a great time with friends, laughing, enjoying deliciously smoked brisket, and some good stories maybe. Our minds are distracted from the grim and looming event that awaits all of us, death. 
what are we supposed to do with this? The preacher says that the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So are we never supposed to be happy? Are we never supposed to laugh? Would that make us fools? I don't think that's what the preacher is saying. I mean, if you look down a few verses at verse 14, he even says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. I think he's trying to wake people up to the fact, the truth, that we don't get to live forever on this earth. Vanity, it's a vapor. Like a breath of fresh air on a cold winter morning, you see it and it's gone. Just because you might ignore this, pretending it's not there by distracting yourself with laughter, food, entertainment, sports, pleasure, it doesn't change reality. We are all going to die. So we know that our lives are just a vapor, blink and it's gone. But what do we do with our portion in life, the vapor that we call life? Should I abandon wisdom since life is so short? Should I pursue a life of pleasure? Should I follow the way of the wicked and try to prolong my life? Should I live my life as uprightly and morally as possible so that I may earn favor with God and perhaps have a longer life or avoid a painful death? What's the point of wisdom and righteousness if life is short and the wicked seem to prolong their lives anyways? In the following verses of chapters 7 through 9, the preacher will answer these questions. When I was looking at verses 14 through 29, this section specifically caught my attention. Knowing that death will come, how do I spend my life now? As a follower of Christ, I know that I should pursue holiness. So when I read verses 15 and 16 specifically, it caught me off guard. Listen to this. It says, In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Be not overly righteous. Is the preacher now telling us not to pursue righteousness? No. I think what he's getting at here is that just because you're righteous does not mean that you will prolong your life or avoid adversity. So don't pursue righteousness. Don't be overly righteous just so that you can have a longer life that's filled with blessing, prosperity, and no pain. Additionally, there seems to be an air of self-righteousness that the preacher is talking about when he says, be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. If you go down a few verses, he emphasizes the fact that we can't be righteous on our own, right? He says in verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Verse 29 says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So we see that even in our righteousness, there's no one that's truly righteous who could bargain with God to have an easy life or to avoid death itself. But does that mean there's no hope that we shouldn't pursue righteousness? 
No, because we even see at the end of verse 18 of chapter 7, he says, It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. If we go down to chapter 8, verse 11 and following, it says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So we see that the preacher still exhorts people to fear God. Yes, be righteous. Yes, live out a life of holiness. But it's not because you want prosperity or an easy life. It's because you fear God. If we go to 2 Corinthians 7, which is one of our other passages for reading for today, it matches up perfectly. I think this is awesome. And it gives us some some clarity as to why we fear God, why we pursue holiness. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians, it says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What are these promises that Paul is referring to? If we look back just in chapter 6, just a few verses earlier, we look at a list of promises from God to his people. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He tells them, go out from their midst and be separate from them and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. We have a promise that transcends death itself. So in the vapor of life that we have now, when we consider the day of death and the house of mourning, let us fear God. We cannot bargain with God because of our righteousness or wickedness. Prosperity and adversity happen to both the righteous and the wicked. Let's not be obedient to God or sin thinking that we can somehow earn a better lot in life. Look at Paul, right? He was afflicted at every turn. He felt the weight of rebuking the church at Corinth. His life was filled with adversity, even though he pursued holiness, right? We cleanse ourselves. We pursue holiness, setting ourselves apart for God with a healthy, reverent fear of God, even though death looms in front of us. And why do we do this? It's because we hold on to the promise that transcends death. We trust in his son. We believe his word that it will be well with those who fear God. Even if we don't experience that until after the solemn reality of death. So I encourage you the next time that you're tempted to turn on a sports channel or do some form of entertainment to distract yourself, maybe before doing that, just pause and take a couple of minutes to think about the reality of death and ask yourself, am I pursuing holiness in the fear of God 
looking forward to the promise that after death, for those who fear God and trust in his son, those people get to dwell with him for all of eternity, free from adversity. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Pastor Ben Blakey will be back on August 22nd. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.